All right, good morning. You find your seats again. Next Sunday after church, we're going to have lots of time to connect if you're willing to drive a little bit and hang out for the afternoon and maybe cool off in some water. So keep that in mind. We're currently in a study of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. And in a section where Jesus is talking about issues of the heart related to relational brokenness. The last couple of weeks, we've looked at a progression of relational brokenness from negative thoughts in the heart and mind, anger, to outbursts of verbal contempt, uh, as is in the text, raka, which sounds like you're spitting on somebody, and then to hateful, vile cursing, you blankety-blankety-blank. And this week, we're moving on to uh, a next section related to human desire. And the example Jesus uses to make his point is related to brokenness in the area of our sexuality. Here's what he says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with desire for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now here again, Jesus references one of the Ten Commandments, and rather than merely sort of restating Old Testament law, you shall not commit adultery, telling us how bad it is and how bad we are for doing it, Jesus describes issues of the heart that are elements of human brokenness that create the space for such a thing as adultery. Jesus is not minimizing or making the Old Testament law irrelevant, but he's going beyond the law, dealing with the heart and human brokenness. He's inviting us to become aware of our brokenness and to seek his life and his empowering presence for seeing our hearts be transformed into his heart over against some kind of outward behavior modification. And please, let's keep in mind as we continue through this, as I've said in previous weeks, Jesus is not giving us a new set of commandments or rules or regulations. He's talking about and describing two kinds of life that are both now present and available to us. The first kind of life that's most familiar, the easy path, is the perishing life. This is the life focused around me having the world the way I want it, what I think is best for me, and which ultimately leads to isolation and destruction. The second kind of life that he is describing that's less familiar and might seem hard is God's kind of life, or eternal life, as Jesus calls it. This is the life focused around having the world the way God wants it, and incidentally, having our lives the way he wants them, because they're best. The way of love and what is best for others, and which comes through Jesus and is the only true life. This morning, I want to spend our time looking at the topic of human desire rather than specifically addressing the issues of desire and sexuality, which we'll talk about next week. But before we head there, let's pray.
Holy Spirit, it is very true that we don't need more information and that we need more of you. And yet, sadly, here and there, we've got some things wrong. We're, we have kind of blurry vision. We're not really seeing as clearly as we could. And so, as was prayed earlier, would you open our eyes? Would you enable us to see clearly the clash of these two world views? And would you give us the awareness and the reminder that you are always with us to partner with us in this life that you are inviting us to? you help us to hear you this morning and what you have for us. In Jesus' name. So before we talk about human desire, I want to talk briefly about uh, human need. While many people deny that they have needs or wish they didn't have needs or that we think of people who are needy as somehow missing something, the fact is, we do have needs. And somewhat startling, still to me, is the fact that after God's creation and His declaring, it is good, it is good, it is good, when He got the man, He said, oops, uh-oh, it's not good that man should be alone. Now, that wasn't an oops. He knew what He was planning on doing. But he puts it there for us to grasp something significant. Created in the image and likeness of God, humankind was created for and with the need for relationships. Relationship with God and others. The Trinity, God Himself, is community. However in the world that works, or outside the world, Father, Son, and Spirit are a community of love. They are themselves relational. And I taught a year ago that a God who is alone, who is only one, cannot be a God of love because He doesn't need anything. doesn't want anything other than people to take care of Him. But we have a God who is love, and to be love, man, love manifests itself to others. And we have a need for that relationship and that love. But we have many other needs. 1943, Abraham Maslow, an American psychologist, in his paper, A Theory of Human Motivation, proposed a hierarchy of five primary needs that have been later expanded to eight primary needs. The first one on, on the bottom as the base is, is what's called physiological needs. These are the biological needs, things like air and food and drink, uh, shelter and sleep. Just, just do without those for, you know, a few days or a few more days or a few more days and you just won't be here anymore. The, the systems are going to shut down. 
the second one he identified is safety needs, protection from elements, uh, security, some order. He included law, stability. Uh, chaos is, is not the most fun way to live. Love and belongingness needs, friendship, intimacy, being part of a group, trust, acceptance, receiving and giving affection. Esteem needs, esteem for oneself. Think about that as a need. When someone doesn't esteem themselves, it's a picture of brokenness. It just is. But we also have the need and the desire for esteem from others. Cognitive needs, needs related to knowledge, understanding, curiosity, exploration, meaning, predictability. Aesthetic needs, appreciation and search for beauty, balance, form. Self-actualization needs was the original top one on uh, Maslow's uh, hierarchy, realizing personal potential, self-fulfillment, personal growth, meaningful experiences. And one that was added to by others was transcendent needs. A person being motivated by values which transcend beyond the personal self, such as mystical experiences, religion and faith, experiences with nature and the world, service to others. Back in the 1990s, Claire and I became involved with a Christian organization in Austin called Intimate Life Ministries, founded by David Ferguson. Dr. Ferguson and his associates taught, wrote, and counseled around the theme of relational wholeness. It's where I got that from uh, back a while ago. One area of their training was specifically the topic of relational human needs that can only be met by others. And they were called at the time the top 10 intimacy needs, but later uh, renamed uh, as top 10 relational needs. And they identified 10. Uh, there's lots of them. These were the 10 that they, they after doing their research and pursuit of uh, people and spending time with people, they identified the human need for attention, approval, support, appreciation, comfort, security, encouragement, acceptance, respect. And when I've taught these in the past, one of the things I always love doing is, okay, so just, you know, just try and give yourself some affection. Uh, not really doable. All right, give yourself some encouragement. Atta boy, Randy. You're going to make it. It's going to be great. Not very upbuilding. These needs that are universal, that are pictures of the kinds of ways that we are created relationally, both to extend to others in care and love and to receive from others. As human beings created with needs, we have also been created with desire and a will for our needs to be met. So let's talk about those for a minute. Issues of the heart, human desire. 
Without needs, desire, and a will, there is no reason for anything. And humankind would have not non-existed for a long time. We wouldn't be standing here today. Our needs, desires, and will motivate and move us, giving our life direction, purpose, and meaning. And in that, they are good and useful, needed even, required. They're part of the core of what it means to be human. Does God have desire? I think so. Sounds like it in the Bible to me, for God so loved, that. Does God have a will? Well, yeah, of course. Does God have needs? Well, yeah. But I think a desire to be loved may not be a need, but He is love and loves, and the Trinity loves. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father. And whether they need it, it is what it is, I might suggest, at some ontological uh, way. When our needs, desires, and will become exaggerated, they can lead us away from God's life and towards a perishing life. Similar as there is a path and progression in the area of anger, verbal contempt, vile cursing, abuse, murder, so I would suggest there is, with desire, a path and progression that leads towards the perishing life. Now, in considering this, I wasn't able to actually find any specific list of a progression of desire, but... Uh, I found myself identifying numerous words that I think can at least describe somewhat what I'm trying to suggest. So, so I would suggest that prior to desire is need. Need is a part of what creates the necessity for desire or the opportunity, maybe. So desire. Um, attraction. Something with desire, something catches us. The smell of a barbecuing steak. The beauty of the ocean, the waves crashing. There's traction that's connected to this idea of desire. It, it brings awareness to something specific, not just general. Uh, wish. I wish, I yearn, here's a little bit stronger, there's something more happening with I yearn. And then, then I crave, I covet, lust, greed. Rounding it out with inordinate desire. And you can look that one up on the internet. 
Just as there's a progression with the theme or idea of anger, so there is with this theme of desire. In its earlier stages, desire seems harmless. But considering the progression described by these words and from our own experiences of life, clearly, desire, when it is unrestrained, leads to destructive outcomes or what I've been calling perishing. Consider with me the the seemingly harmless words, I want. Very innocent. I want. I want an In-N-Out hamburger. I want to buy Clara presents. I want to go back to school and finish my degree. Desires. Nothing wrong at all. I want to sneak out tonight. I want to go get high. I want to kill you. So what's the two common denominators in all of these statements? I want. I want. I want, not you want, because it's about what I want. I has to do with self-interest, concerned about me, and want has to do with desire. Desire is connected to choice and will. And, and by itself, like temptation, desire is kind of amoral. And even though it can have an outward expression like, I want to buy you a present, as in outgoing or care for others, it's still about what I want and is self-driven. The Bible is full of references to the issue of desire, including the passage from Matthew that we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks after this. But I want to look at one very familiar story and just notice the role that desire plays in this very significant story. In Genesis 3, we're told the story of the temptation account in the garden. And there is a, a dialogue that occurs between Eve and the serpent, whom we would understand as the enemy or Satan, as Jesus spoke of him. And John, uh, John Genesis 3.6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, traction, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one knowledgeable, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. As innocent as desire can seem to be, it can lead to disastrous consequences in our lives and the lives of those around us. Over the last few years, I have I've described this perishing life, this life lived apart from God by the words, wanting the world the way I want it. But I've also described this eternal kind of life as wanting the world the way God wants it. 
And every day we wake up with choices to make, things to do, places to go, people to see. And all through our day, every day, we have desires, obligations, relational interactions, and a will that must choose what we're going to do. When our desires, what we want, is crossed or blocked by circumstances and other people, we have a will that must choose what we're going to do and how we're going to relate to those around us. And if we're living life on our own according to the way we want it, we're going to make choices that will inevitably lead to destruction and suffering for ourselves and for others. Think of someone whom you know who is just absolutely gone in selfishness. Now, we don't know very many people like that, but they're out there. And all of us cross the opportunity between personal preference and personal deference every day. Just recently, when I was doing the whole driving the car thing and connecting with God and uh, expanding my understanding of uh, loving the people around me, the words I was reminded of the words, ah, oh, I can do what I prefer or I can defer. Interesting how those two words are pretty close together. Wanting the world the way we want it is to live out a life of personal preference. Not bad, not wrong, but how about a life of personal deference? We, Claire and I had a Sabbath a few weeks ago, and uh, I, was, I was having devotions that morning and, and uh, thinking about the day, and I, I felt prompting from the Holy Spirit to simply defer to Clara all day. All day. <laughs> it was a great day for me too. It was. And it, and it kind of was easy. I mean, I had, to, I had to remember, right? I mean, I, had to, I, I still had choices all through the day. And, and the ideas of sharing with her what my preference was definitely popped into my mind because I'm quite uh, aware of my preferences and I, and I like sharing them with Clara. In fact, I, I like having my preferences. But I did a pretty good job. It was a pretty good job. I haven't done it since then, but you know, once a year, is, it wasn't even her birthday, but anyway. The only alternative to this perishing life, this life, life lived for personal preference, is life lived with God. Not on our own, with God, whose goals for us, others in our world, is love and what is best. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, speaking metaphorically of Satan, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the perishing life. Friends, it's happening every day, all days, all the time. The enemy is there, he's in our world, looking to accomplish this. 
Jesus said, however, I came to give you life, life in all its fullness, not just someday when we cross the line of this life into the next season, but right now. That's the context of John 10.10. Earlier I said desire is kind of amoral, and that is because our desires are And that's because our desires are supposed to be led by our will. So let's just talk briefly, I promise, briefly about the human will. Human choice and will, like human desire, are part of our having been created in the image and likeness of God. The human will, accompanied by reason and leading of God is intended to enable us to make choices based on what is right and what's best. It is intended to seek a wider perspective than just what I want. Humankind was never intended to be lived apart from God. His wisdom and empowering presence was always intended, was the activity of God with us. And His activity with us will enable, empower, help us to live within the realm of His life and to make those choices to be able to be transformed in our interior to where we become a person who is deferential, just generally and easygoing and it's not hard work. Still have to make some decisions about which toothpaste you want to buy unless your spouse buys it for you and then you can simply live preferentially, unless you're like me and want to tell her what toothpaste you like. But as demonstrated in the fall and in life all around us, we have a choice and freedom of will to live without God's participation, to make choices not based on what is right and best for ourselves or for others, but to make choices based on what we think is right and best for ourselves. We have choice. Now, there's circumstances where we get into the role of things where circumstances are moving us along and we can become entrapped to processes and uh, activities where we can become out of control and under the influence of evil. We see that every day as well. And what God is wishing is that our will would continue to lead our desires. And when we do that, we can live lives that are directed and moved by and toward things that are best rather than simply what I want. In the writings of Paul, on numerous occasions, he describes life lived according to the flesh in contrast to life according to God. Galatians 5. Speaking of the perishing and eternal kind of life, live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. I guess God does have desires. 
For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like that. Things that are coming as actions from people's desires. I'm warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not live in the kingdom of God. They will not be experiencing the eternal kind of life that is present right now. That is not talking about the kingdom of God someday. It's talking about the kingdom of God. People living like that are not experiencing God's life. It's a little hard. They've kind of moved themselves away from and away from posturing themselves to living a life as they want it. Now, God's still going to break in. God loves us. He breaks in all the time. Saves us from disaster many times. Saves people who are, we wonder, sheesh, they should have just died. But God saved them. God gave them time and opportunity. But listen to the second side of this. By contrast, this fruit of the Spirit the life in the Spirit, the life of God, the eternal kind of life, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentle self-control. There's no law against such things. Why? Because we have been changed. We're a new kind of person as a result of the presence of the Spirit and allowing Him to live with us to live our life. There's no laws here. It's talking about a kind of life that's going to naturally come when we are experiencing God's kind of life. But we have to make choices. And there's a progression of our choices that leads us in diverse directions. Little choices lead to bigger choices. It is the nature of our world. Romans 8, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, does not submit to God's invitation to a new kind of life. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Flesh being living life on my own, by myself. That's the definition of flesh here. Flesh is living out the kind of life where I've left God out. And those living that way cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You're not living out your life any longer, Romans. 
as you did before Christ. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God is in you. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of His righteousness. The righteousness of God that is present in us because of Christ in us. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He just said He does, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies filled with desires for things that are contrary to the life of God. He'll give life to you and through His Spirit that dwells in you, you can live in a different kind of life. In both these passages, Paul is describing and contrasting life according to the flesh and its desires and life according to the Spirit and His empowering presence that dwells within us. He is also describing and contrasting the perishing life and the eternal life. And here's, here's where we're going to end. I'm not going to go to that last scripture, uh, Dan Daniel. What does it mean to live according to the Spirit? We know what it is to live according to the flesh. That one's sort of, we're familiar with that one. To live according to the flesh is to make all the decisions myself and to live out the way I want it. So what's to live according to the Spirit? It's to live with a constant, continual awareness of God's presence available to empower and help us to lead and live within the eternal kind of life. To live according to the Spirit is to live with the awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence, the Spirit of Christ within. And, and to have our mind, our thinking transformed from preference to deference. Not only deference to others in our life, but deference to God. This week, I, I in, invite you to some homework. See if you can pay attention to the choices you have where there's opportunity for deference. I mean, picking at your clothes in the morning for most men is like, whatever. Never mind, I'm not going to go there. But most, a lot of our choices... There's opportunity for deference. So just, just pay attention. I'm not saying live a deferring life. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. God might be asking you to do that. I don't know. But just begin to notice. Begin to, be aware, begin to grow in awareness of your desires. When your stomach gets hungry and you're desiring something to eat, do you know that you have a preference for what you want to eat? I do. I don't, I don't know anybody. Well, there are a few. Got a few friends who just say, give me anything, I'll eat anything. And they, 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 they do. They eat the plate too sometimes. All right, we're way over time. All right, here's what I want to do. 
I've, I've begun a, a regular pattern here of, of, of taking a couple of moments here at the end for us to connect with God. I just said that to live the eternal kind of life, to live according to the Spirit, is simply to be aware of God within us, be present to us. And so I want uh, you just to go close your eyes. Uh, Cindy did a wonderful job of highlighting the benefit and the call and the invitation of God for uh, the restoration of our imagination to where it becomes uh, an available part of who we are. We, we, we love God with our heart. We love God with our mind. We love God with our body, our spirit, our soul, and our imagination. It's no different than any of those other elements of who we be. And I want you to imagine yourself in a place of security and safety, a place that's of beauty, a place where you perhaps have connected with God in the past. If you have memories of that nature, you have an imagination for a memory, that, that counts. If you don't really have any of those, you know, picture a, a picture in your mind of Christ from images or portraits that you've seen. Imagining Christ on the cross. Imagining Christ coming down from the cross and being with you. Just take a moment and just find a place and invite Jesus to be with you there. And I want to invite you simply to say to Jesus, what do you want to say to me? What would you want to say to me? Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your indwelling presence within us. Thank you for the life, the blessed life, a life of fullness, of joy that you long for us to experience. life with you. Every moment, every day, every week, for the rest of eternity. your love and glory, O oh God, let it be so. As has already been um, shared and suggested earlier, if you would like a prayer or someone to talk with, uh, people will be up here at the front. Um, we love the opportunity to come alongside and uh, be with you as you are with God. Um, also, um, besides the other home, you know what, I'm not going to say that one. Uh, work on your homework and let me know next week how it went. Preference or deference? 
All right, blessings. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday. And next Sunday is the picnic thing after church. Food.